Welcome to our Sport Fuels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We're your hosts. I'm Megan. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Sport Fuels Life. Are you an athlete or coach that is part of a team 100% bought into working towards a common goal? Imagine the excitement you would experience if your team was able to capture a national championship. Today, we've got an incredible interview lined up with Scott Dorner, who will share his story on how he and his tennis team at Pepperdine University were able to rise to the top as an underdog program. Everything matters was the phrase used by the coaching staff and echoed by the leadership of the seniors to solidify their winning team culture. Their stars align through an unwavering belief in team victory backed by disciplined action and accountability. To this day, Scott and his teammates still enjoy tennis as a part of their lives for the love of sport and competition, demonstrating how sports is truly a vehicle for building lifelong relationships and creating moments to cherish. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today in the Sport Fields Life podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Yep, happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So for our listeners out there, we'd love to just dive in. And um, we know that you have a tennis background, um, went to Pepperdine. And if you could just share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, was, you know, I grew up in Australia. You could probably hear from my my funny accent. Um, My parents were tennis, tennis pros back in kind of the the golden era of, of Australian tennis. And so, um, but, but they actually lived in, in, in the state. So I was born here. So I grew up kind of hearing you're going to, you're going to go to UCLA, you're going to go to Stanford, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, what are you talking about? So I ended up um, my senior year flew over here to, to kind of the West coast from Australia and uh, visited some schools um, and ended up choosing Pepperdine. Um, it, it was almost like love at first sight. If you've been on the campus there, it's it's totally amazing. Um, yeah, it's right on, right in Malibu. Ocean views everywhere. The the courts were were there. The dorm rooms were up about a hundred stairs. Um, you know, I didn't really have anything. This was like two that. So I went to school two thousand two. So I didn't have a cell phone for three years. Um, so I loved it. I mean, I just practiced all day and went to class and there was, you know, God, Pepperdine had 3000 undergrad. So it was, I really liked the small nature of it. Um, having small classes and just loved the school, loved the team, um, had a great time with the coaches. We had a really tight knit group and eventually my, my senior year kind of all the, all the stars aligned and, and our team won the NCAA championship. So we, we beat Georgia in the final and uh, I played John Isner in the final, the no. you know, big, 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 big tall guy. Yeah. So we're, you know, we still laugh about it to this day, but he beat me in the final, but our team had lost to them earlier that year. They were seated one. We were two. We had way harder draw in the NCAA tournament. No, we, we got through and, and, and kind of overcame everything. Um, and, and ended up winning. So I had a fantastic experience at Pepperdine. Uh, I'm still just super close. We're actually, I'm watching the French Open now. We've got a big group chat going. So we all, a lot of the guys actually are still involved in tennis, still coaching at a high level or even not so much, but still still playing. And, and the coaches, of course, um, are still coaching. Adam Steinberg's at Michigan um, was our head coach and Pear Nilsson was our assistant coach and he's uh, currently at Pepperdine, the women's team. Uh, and both of them made the quarterfinals of NCAA. So, you know, both, both top programs. So can't say enough about my, my experience at Pepperdine. So uh, choosing Pepperdine, uh, I, there was a little bit of research I did and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a coaching change after you decided mm-hmm. to go to Pepperdine. Um, and some people may experience that as well, because the college coaching world is, is a little um, flexible, per se. Sometimes people are looking at other schools, looking to move around. 
as an athlete going to the school there, were you worried about the coach or the new coach coming in or, or how that transition was going to go? Or were you just dead set on Pepperdine as a school and that's the place for you? Yeah, it's kind of a, a good question. Uh, the, the coach that recruited, recruited me was, was Peter Smith. And uh, of course, he went on to win, I don't know, five or six national titles at USC. Uh, so I got along really well with him on my recruiting visit and we gelled. But I think, I wouldn't say more importantly, but equal, equal to that was just the feel that I had on campus. And I just felt like Pepperdine was a great program, smaller school. You know, I could, I could walk to the courts. I could sleep at the courts. I could, you know, my dorm was there. I just, just liked the feel and the environment um, a lot. So I think when Peter called me the summer before I came in, I mean, all, of course, like I'm, I'm in Australia at this point. I don't really know. I'm pretty jazzed that I'm going to Pepperdine. Right. And so uh, he said, look, I'm going to USC. And I, and I said, well, congratulations. And he was like, what do you mean? Everyone's, you know, telling me that that's it's a mistake. And I said, look, Peter, you're a great coach and it's a, obviously a top program. So I was excited for him, but I was also set on Pepperdine as a, as a program, as a, as a location, as a school. I also kind of, I secretly felt like, not that they'd underachieved, but I was like, and this program's top five or 10. I liked the kind of David versus Goliath aspect of Pepperdine. Um, I'd visited UCLA and Fresno State and Stanford. To me, there were massive cities and I just was like, God, well, where am I going to, where am I going to go here? So, you know, I was bummed for sure that Peter left, but we're still close to this day. And, and I knew that Pepperdine was such a great athletic program that they were going to hire somebody of, of stature that was going to come in. And essentially what happened was, um, you know, Peter took some players, the program kept a few, um, but we sort of started from scratch in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I kind of, I guess that, a long-winded answer again I, I might give a few of those but um that 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 was definitely at the time it wasn't something that I thought oh my god the coach is leaving I was pretty set on the on the location on Pepperdine on you know on the program as a whole yeah I think making that choice in a school to be sure that it's a fit for you you know with the coach and the program but as well as the school as a whole you want to be happy in that place that you choose for you know those four years that you're there um so tell us a little bit about the coaching change and how was the new coach and what was his style yeah the new coach Steiny was <laughs> he's a real character um we we, we we kind of bumped heads actually early on he was a, a younger a younger guy very passionate very fiery and so was I um but you know there's there's definitely a cultural difference between Australians and Americans um Aussies are kind of hard-nosed hard on themselves, a bit of a chip on their shoulder pretty negative and I was definitely that type of kid and Steiny probably I, I think saw that I had some potential, but I was just beating myself up. I wasn't helping the team. So we butted heads a bit and I, I couldn't really tell when he was joking or not because he did joke a lot and, and I liked that. So we butted heads. There was numerous long emails, long conversations in, in the uh, coaching, in their, you know, uh, their office with like, hey, Scott, love, we love you. The guys love you, but you're kind of a bit of a nutcase on the court and you bit crazy on the court. So like, how do we rein you in? So I think it was a bit of a process for both of us. I think for Adam, uh, it was a, a big job for him. Um, he'd been at Alabama, but I think moving to the West coast was, was something he he had dreamed of. He, he was from long Island. And um, I, I think he was really, really hungry for success and wanted to make an impression on the team. And I was a little bit of a freshman punk for a while. Um, but you know, it, it all worked out in the end. Now that, that's exciting. I, I'm actually a college coach as well at a school similar to Pepperdine high point university in the, in the East coast. Uh -huh. And, yeah. um, now understanding, cause I, I was also a freshman that was hard headed, maybe even a sophomore and junior that was hard headed, uh, with, with that transition, I guess, staying with the college scenario, what, what's a piece of advice you could give to 
athletes looking to go to college and maybe they stay with the same coach for four years, maybe they get a coach transition or what, what's the best way they can find um, success quicker with their program? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's a, probably a opening a little can of worms with the whole transfer portal and stuff that's going on now with the, the COVID year. And uh, it, a lot of it's changed for sure, but I think probably to answer it specifically up, uh, even when I was recruiting, when I was the women's coach at Pepperdine, I just felt like it was important for incoming student athletes to, to communicate. Um, I, I really tried to recruit kids who had some independence. So I would encourage them to, even though they're getting recruited, I always found it nice to, to speak to some kids that asked questions that were, uh, I don't want to say mature, but didn't kind of look at their parents to ask questions to took it upon themselves to find out about the history of the program find out about the current players um anytime I had kids on recruiting trips and they kind of did, they didn't really know much I was like well you know you're not you're not coming prepared for this interview but I also think that the ones that did showed they kind of shined um even if they were less of a player because the way I looked at it is I guess from a player's perspective and a coach's, I wanted to be there for four years. At least that was my commitment to the school. Um, I understood that things can change and transfers happen, but I really think it's important for the, the student athlete to find a right fit for them academically, culturally, geographically, looking at some majors, looking at, and, and of course, like as a student athlete with their coach. Um, it's so important to develop that relationship and with the assistant coach and with any other trainers. And uh, it's such an interesting process to go through how many, how much can change over that time. Cause it's a very pivotal time between, you know, call it 16, 17, when you're getting recruited to then 18 through 22, you're on the team, you're competing high stress. You've got classes to go to stuff's going on, you know, life is happening. Um, so I just really encouraged the the student athletes to to take it upon themselves to um, be independent with the process and and get to know the coach, get to know you know how how they like to be coached, what communication styles coaches had, and, and ask questions about that. Yeah, almost just assuming the responsibility and taking that upon themselves. Um, yeah. So in your time at Pepperdine, you were a part of a national championship. What year was that for you? And what, I guess, can you walk us through that season leading up to it? And maybe there were some certain factors that led to that ultimate success as a team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we, the year we won was 2006. Um, and, and I think interesting, that's a great question. Like what, what led up to that? Because I, I actually think, the sort of winning the national championship was like I said the stars aligned but it but it started so much before that and not that we really knew that it was going to happen but I think as I alluded to before having a new coach come in new energy um, sort of had our team decimated in a way and we had to start from scratch we had a couple of you know upperclassmen that were great um and they, they really helped set the culture with the new coach. And then the new coach, you know, Steiny recruited his butt off, got some guys in. Um, and then I think probably a couple, couple of pivotal things happened. We, uh, we had done pretty, you know, we were ranked like mid twenties in my freshman and, and, and sophomore year, which was okay. But, you know, our, our goal was always to make the sweet 16, which was kind of the big deal back then and ultimately to win it. So I think my junior year, we got in a big recruit from Baylor who played number three and he was a stud. And so that really, that helped us. I, I had gone from kind of a punk 18, 19 year old playing four and five singles and, winning most of his doubles and being a good team guy to actually growing up, being mature, taking responsibility for my game. And I actually started playing number one and winning all my matches. So I think that that helped a lot. And that was all due to the coaches really just improving us. And so my junior year, we 
we got to the quarterfinals of the NCAs, which was which was a big deal for us. We got to experience the the, the atmosphere and the pressure and what it took physically to to win something. Because yeah, we were at Texas A and M. Hot, was awful. Uh, you know, the the referees almost felt like they were cheating against us. The fans were against us. All that stuff, and we played a pretty seasoned. Baylor team who ended up um, getting to the final and losing in a tight one to UCLA. Anyway, we in two that sort of fast forward two thousand six, uh, we got one more piece in. I took the fall off uh, the fall of my senior year off to go and play some some uh, kind of minor league professional tournaments because I I felt I wanted to get that experience and with with that scholarship we were able to get another really good player that was effectively going to take over my scholarship once I graduated. So that helped that we, we had a, we had the talent and, and the strength to, to compete. And, uh, and I came back from playing some, some of these professional tournaments with a lot of confidence. And we, we put, uh, we had some t-shirts made up and it just, it was kind of a white t-shirt with Pepperdine and on the back, it had 81. And it didn't really make sense. And the coach was like, well, look, we, we basically made the sweet 16. So that's top eight, but we're going to go to one. And, and we actually wore that around most of the year. And it's kind of a weird thing, but I, I think it, it symbolized a lot of what we were going for. I mean, everything we practiced for that year was, was to win it. All the experiences we had in our dual matches were, all geared towards that that NCAA run and being prepared for the final and you know to this day I think we I probably still have the shirt right and and I think a lot of the guys do and and it's pretty 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 symbolic I think of what we're all trying to achieve no that's a great uh great overview for sure and and we got some key talking points like to bring up and questions um First being, it's it's really cool to take your fall and go play some some semi-professional or professional tournaments. Um, was that mostly beneficial for you or is there self-sacrifice in that saying, hey, let me take the fall off and let's see if we can bring this other guy in to make a piece there? Because it seemed to work out, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, sports that aren't fully funded for, you know, a starting roster and a half to look for scholarships to bring in other people. And so giving your scholarship up that fall and, and doing things worked out, but you know, there is that a self-sacrifice that helped your team can get that right puzzle piece. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I certainly, that wasn't, well, I, I knew it was the case I knew it would help the team to get another player. And I was all about that, but I also wanted to go and play. And um, I thought it was just, it was, re- it was time for me. And actually I, I, I did pretty, pretty bloody well with it. And I, it's kind of funny. I, in early January, right before the season started for us, you know, we're, we're a spring sport and coaches are kind of calling me going, you know, the, the Australian open is on in January and, and obviously being an Aussie, I, I had done well. And so they were looking at me as a up and comer. I'm like, oh, I did you know, do I, do I take a wild card here into maybe the qualifying? Like, what does this look like? And, and definitely had some conversations with my family about it. And, and the coaches, I didn't really know how to communicate it with it, with them because there was that in, in my mind too. And I never, I never thought that I would do so well in a six month period, but I ended up doing that. Uh, but my commitment was, to come back and play for the team. And my, my commitment was always to graduate. I wanted to get my degree. Uh, my, my parents went to high school, but never got that degree. And I, I think that was sort of drilled into me as a kid all the time. It's like, you know, there's a million doctors out here and there's a hundred tennis players. And, it, and my parents were tennis players. So they, they knew how that was. Um, so, so I think it was a little bit of both. Scott, it was, it was, a sacrifice in knowing that, hey, we, we got a pretty stacked team. We may need one more piece to the puzzle. And the guy that, that, that they brought in ended up being my, my doubles partner. And uh, he's still playing somewhere in the world to this day on the, on the doubles tour. So we ended up being, being very close. And so it was, it was, again, it was a lot of stars aligning, a lot of fate for sure. 
No, I love that because there, there is that concept of trying to make what's best for you and what's best for the team. And it's really nice when it works out like that. And then the yeah. other point, something that I think uh, a lot of teams may struggle with, they may do on their own as individuals, or there may be a coach focus. But when you talk about eight to one and or as a symbol and the focus of winning, right, a lot of people crumble in that pressure. Championship mindset, championship mentality, and focusing on winning can put a lot of pressure on a team, whether it's in practice, whether it's in matches. So I guess, how did uh, how did your team and, and you um, succeed in handling that pressure? And what's an, what's an example when somebody stepped up for the team bigger than they would have for an individual? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a great question. I I, I don't know if there's any secret sauce to it. It's uh, it, it just, I guess it just came from, um, we, we had four seniors in 2006, you know, I was one of them. I was kind of the captain and I think it came from <clears throat> leadership and belief and dedication and communication too. We talked about this stuff all the time. We talked about, you know, getting up, getting up there when we're, when we're up or down break point on it with a second serve like are we going to go for our second serve are we going to and we we kind of I guess we tried to emulate that as much as we could in practice and we talked about being brave and we talked about you know how lucky we are to be doing this and we I think we had a team that was it was such a cool group of guys it was a mix of Americans it was a mix of Europeans it was a mix of you know, Orthodox, non-Orthodox, Catholic, Muslim, our coach was Jewish. So it was just kind of like, it was almost like we, we just enjoyed each other's company so much. And you know how it is. I mean, when you're around each other so much, you, you piss each other off and get at each other's nerves, like all the time when you're rooming with each other and, you know, guys are throwing their dirty socks around. It's like, come on, like grow up and be clean. But we, I think we just, it was, again, it was, we didn't really have the cell phone era. You know, we used to drive around in our van together and just make jokes all the time. We were constantly laughing and giving each other crap. And I think we were one of the first teams as well to, we would talk a lot and communicate and encourage in between courts. And, you know, our number two was, was, um, was from Spain and he, you know, he's like, vamos. And he had the big, the big bandana on. So you can imagine Rafa Nadal right now, his energy on the court. That was how Pedro was. And we, we had a pretty cool, close-knit community in Malibu of people that came out to watch our matches that sensed that our team was good and got behind us. And, and people, you know, when we came, when, when Ohio State, Michigan, anyone came to play us in Malibu, you know, we'd play all, we love LA, we'd play all the, kind of the, the two-pack stuff. We, we play all these like California tunes. And I think we had a bit of an aura of like these West Coast guys are pretty good and they're passionate and they get after it. So I think it was just an all-in mentality on buying in, on, on believing in each other and, and we've got each other's back and we're going to call each other out. And there's no hard feelings because we all want to get better and we all want to win. And that's now that I look at it, now that I've coached, it's so hard to get that. You know, even the guys that, I mean, I wanted to go pro as number one. Maybe the two, the guys that played two and three, they're a bit older. I think they were a little injured towards the end of the season. They may have lost their passion to go pro, but our num, you know, my doubles partner who played for that year is still playing. So I think even though guys might not have wanted to continue, they certainly had the desire to win for each other and that was super important because we wouldn't let anybody kind of dog us on the court if there was a guy with his head hanging we were all over them to jog to the changeover to I mean almost fake it and the coaches were certainly all over that and when we practiced we, we did it in practice we did it in individuals I mean we and 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 I think it was a it was sort of a big an ethos of our team it's like the coaches embodied and, and we'd worked on it and I'd been through having bad body language and been through like what it feels like to be positive and what it feels like to dig deep and get out the other side so again having four seniors and we were kind of bigger guys too like uh, we had big tall kind of strong guys that worked out hard and and, and you know we weren't going to back down 
And so any incoming freshman was going to listen to what we said regardless. So we had a pretty strong leadership base that embodied like giving it your best. And, and I think that's what gave us the, the bravery and the courage under pressure to go for it just because we, we practiced it all the time. Wow. Yeah. And that gives me so many different talking points that I want to go to next, but um, I want to transition a little bit to leadership and something that you mentioned that stood out to me was uh, that you said now we're in the cell phone era and in listening to your story about your team chemistry, the stars aligning, you had, you know, team members from all different backgrounds and you all were so bought into this same cause, same purpose whether you wanted to continue pro or not, um, but you all were so bought in and held each other accountable. Um, and now we may struggle a little bit to get that same team chemistry with distractions and technology. Um, what are some ways that you can instill leadership within a team today to kind of replicate similar you know, successes that you had at your team? Yeah. I it's a really good question. Um, I think there are different types of leaders. I think that at least on my team, we were, we were lucky to have passion and energy and skill from our coaches and, and genuine, genuine care that, that we felt. And then that, that flowed into probably my leadership style was was example was communication was 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 just like winning was competing and then like i mentioned pedro rico who's probably like our our heart to the team he was passionate he was positive he would be bouncing around all the time he was a good looking guy and he had flair and i think guys really attract you know they they like that he didn't say too much but he acted that and um, our number three player was kind of a bit of an aloof character, but he just had talent and you knew he was going to win. So he was like super dependable. So we had, we had walk-ons on the team that, uh, th they were out there hitting serves longer, like they were practicing longer than us. And they, anything we, anything, some of the, uh, some of the guys in the lineup wanted, they were right there. And we knew that if one of us got injured or something, they were going to step in and have that same feeling. So, you know, I think in, in, in the era now with, with there are so many distractions, I think there are just different types of, of leaders that can, can influence the team, whether it be just through constant conversation. I mean, I spoke to, and he'll attest to this, Andre Begerman, who, who's the German guy that's still playing now. Um, his, his freshman year when he, so he came in, he was an absolute nightmare. He was emotional. He wanted to win, but, but, but you knew he had a good heart and he wanted to win. He just didn't know how to kind of flow. And he'd come from Santa Fe college where it was like 7 million feet above sea level. And he came down to sea level Pepperdine where, where the points were longer and he couldn't hit the ball and he couldn't serve at 140. So he's very frustrated. So you know, I had to call him every time, every day I was on the phone with him. Hey, you know, in practice, you were doing really well. And then you just lost it. Like what's going on and just come to find out that there was a lot of, a lot of care for what he was doing. So I, I think we were lucky in a sense that, it, yeah, of course, like we had bad days of practice. I got booted. I got frustrated. I threw my, like we all go through that, but I think we were lucky in a sense that all of us, Get, we, we, we cared for the team and we, we, we gave our best. And I think that's, that was what, what mattered and we could overcome some of the obstacles in our way, which pop up every day, pop up every week. Um, but that was my, my way of doing it was just communicating with the freshmen, making, you know, making sure they're not eating burgers and fries every meal. It's like, come on, dude, we need you in the third set here. Cause you know, their eyes are popping out of their head. They got some freedom. Let's, let's get it. Let's get Cokes and burgers. Like, okay, well maybe that's not the right thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, that's, that's very difficult. But if you look at, you know, any sport, I mean, I, I watch all sports. You watch, I just watched the, the Celtics, you know, golden state game last night. I mean, 
what leaders on both teams. You've got Marcus Smart, who's you know, and and Draymond Green. I mean, he he doesn't he doesn't shut up. He's talking the whole time, and he's not the best player on the team, but you know that he's the the pillar of that team. And then he has kind of Steph and Clay playing around him, and he's directing traffic. And but they know he's there to take charges and to be that to be that soldier. Yeah, no, it's it's so uh, so interesting when you see teams provide examples of how it can be done, right? When you can see uh, each individual person not try to be the leader that they're not, but be the leader that they can be, and allow others to lead as well. Uh, that creates team chemistry and it, it's out there and there's so many examples of it and finding athletes and, and, and younger kids to see that and try to emulate that sooner, right? That's what we do as coaches. That's what we try to find in order to, yeah. to help leaders have those special moments. And I want to, I want to ask one question uh, when you're in the NCAA championship and you guys are all playing, you're playing Isner, which the matches happen simultaneously, at least a couple of them, right? Yeah. So, so you're playing Isner and then your team is playing uh, a couple of matches right next to you, right? Yep. Yeah. So in that moment, uh, you had to be aware that your team was doing well, but you also had to focus on your match and uh, and what when people are, are when a team and the chemistry is coming together and you can feel that. Uh, how does that emotion feel? How can you describe that day? You may have lost that particular match, but your team getting to that point and your team winning, I mean, that, that's a team win that uh, it's tough to describe winning a national championship. So how, how can you describe yeah. that and how can you encourage other athletes uh, and their teams to try and find ways to be better leaders for their own team? It's Yeah, I mean, it's so hard, especially – if tennis is an individual sport right so um it's definitely not natural at all and so you, you you have to learn it but but i guess i played team sport i played aussie rules and cricket growing up so i i kind of realized well hey if i can lay a shepherd for this guy then then he might he might be able to break free and and, and help out so i always had that teammate mentality a little bit and I actually love it like I, I <clears throat> as much as tennis as individual you love that that battle one-on-one -on -one, but doubles is kind of cool too because you've got your buddy there that, that you you're carrying and he's playing well you're not playing well and you find a way but uh, I mean uh, any good team or or you know when, when players realize like yeah when when you're in the lines and you're playing a point yeah you're trying to beat that guy down the other end but then tennis has some downtime. So you can go to the towel. You can kind of peek over and see the score. If the guy next to, or, you know, guy or gal or whoever's playing next to me is jogging to the change of, they just look like they're into the match, that they're engaged, that I'm like, oh, like, here we go. We're in a match here. And it gives me some energy to maybe get up and pop a serve or give me some courage to not get down on myself for the next point if I'm losing. If you see the person next to you or one of your teammates kind of head down, throwing their racket, then it, it starts to put doubt in your mind. Oh man, my, my God, he's, he ain't winning that match. There's a point down for us. Like now I have to dig deeper. Now there's pressure on me. So th th it's in a game of when the margins are so thin in, in all of our sports at a high level, everything matters. And you know, um, we, it's so funny. I just said that because, um, Steiny, our coach used to say that he said, everything matters. And it was kind of like, what do you, what do you mean? But it really does. Like all of those things matter. And just knowing that your teammate or your, your whole team is engaged and ready to play the point is, is huge because then, then you don't think, oh, well, I need to get number five. I need to get him to pull his finger out. You know, I need to, run over there and you know slap him in the face i need to like call him out or i need to like give him some positivity it's like well that's going to take away from me and my focus so i guess we had a pretty good sense of that um and some teams now take it to a, a different especially tennis is interesting because it's like it, it's not really a rah-rah sport <laughs> where it's like football is when they make a play and it's like there's a lot of hoopla behind that uh, but but that's that's part of it. But I think tennis is is definitely a lot more vocal now, and 
you see players winning points and, and celebrating and you see players in between the court, even if it's just a look or a fist pump or a, you know, a, a positive pat on the back, you know, verbal gesture, I think is, is huge. And I see all the best teams doing that. And the ones that are losing, you can kind of sense that that's happening, that someone's losing and they're they're showing it and they're not happy about it and then it's a little bit of a snowball effect and kind of back to the point where the margins are so thin one or two points separates these matches and I'd rather I'd rather almost just pretend like I'm winning sometimes just to help the guy next to me especially in a close match maybe it's one point that he gets and that gets us the 4-3 victory as opposed to me losing and him worrying about it he loses then we lose 4-3 Yeah, you've said a lot of interesting things there. Um, I like that you said your coach mentioned that everything matters and um, tennis can turn out to be such a marathon, I'm sure with some of those tiebreakers and matches and in a game where everything matters and just, you know, such small margin for error, obviously you have to maintain a strong physical endurance, but also mental endurance to survive and win through those matches. Do you have any pieces of advice or best practice for people to grow that mental endurance and ability to, you know, something else you mentioned to um, pretending that you're winning, I guess, are there any um, habits or practices that you have that you could give advice to others and how to succeed in a long, you know, high pressure yeah. situation? Yeah, I guess the, the, the fake it till you make it is a, you know, you, as a, as a, I don't necessarily buy into it, but I, but I certainly think you can talk yourself into certain things, even when there's doubt there, it's not a lot, it's not a sustainable practice, but I was doing some coaching work with, with Sam Query, who was a, a top 10 professional player. And, you know, he, I said, well, just, just fake it. Just pretend that you can do it. And he's like, yeah, but that doesn't work. Like we used to have kind of fun arguments. Like I'm, I know it doesn't work long-term, but maybe you do it once or twice and then you start to go, Oh, I can do it. So you kind of, you, you, you pushing yourself into that mentality. So that was an interesting conversation, but um, yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't think there's any secret sauce making to, to the mental fortitude. I, I, I just, I think that, um it for me at least in what i know and what i coach and what i'll tell you now is i think a lot of it just comes from practice right you you, you've got to practice with that focus and whether you have routines before you you serve or you know whatever before you take a free throw um different sports are either reactionary or a bit more stationary and it's like a you know kind of a, a linear sport or it's or it's more free-flowing like basketball or tennis but I just think that it, it comes from practice and it comes from awareness too um I I'm a huge I mean obviously specifically with tennis we've got these three legends at the top of the game and like Rafael Nadal is just yeah, I'm more of a Federer fan, but like, I mean, how can you not like love all of them? It's unbelievable what they're doing. It's, I, I don't, it's like superhuman. And Rafa just, I mean, he, he, you know, his English isn't great, but he just says that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and try my best every point. And, and he just does it and he does it in practice and it's a habit. And I think when you, when you, you know, what do they say? Like, you know, um perfect what is it the perfect practice quote or whatever it is but i just think that you you show up and you give you give what you can focus wise that day and you don't waste any like with sam i used to sometimes say hey let's just let's get out there for 45 minutes or an hour and just go hard and we're done there's no use in whipping a dead horse for two hours when when half of it's sloppy i'd rather just be focused and and have good positive intent for a short amount of time because that that habit is going to crawl over into the match now obviously the match is going to be longer and you can build up to that but that's obviously where some of the training blocks comes in and uh some of those things but yeah i I, look i think everybody's different with with their their sustainability mentally we all 
do go through ups and downs, but I think it's a matter of like, can you manage your downs? Can you be aware of, okay, I'm slipping a little bit. I'm getting a bit tired. Um, that's okay. But you know, what's my routine? Am I going to go to the towel again? Am I going to bounce the ball? Like where's what, what's my process? Where am I going to serve here and get back on track that way? So, uh, I, I think that you, especially in tennis, it's like everyone's unreal physically. It's all mental. Like it really is. Physical is obviously huge and people train for that. But I think that, you know, the physical training bleeds over into the mental aspect. But, you know, it's no doubt that the three best players sort of of all time in this generation are the three strongest mentally. And and I think across the, across the, um, board in sport it's i don't think i've met you know a great champion of any sport that's not been just ironclad mentally no that's that's a great point it, it reminds me of a book i read uh mind gym there's a quote in there and it says uh remember your worst day and remember your best day and how different were we physically and how different were we mentally and most people are almost the same physically, but very different mentally. <laughs> and, and so that's something that, uh, yeah, speaks volumes to athletes of any sport when you're trying to be successful. Everybody's training the physical side. That's the easy side. That's usually the fun side. Um, but the mental side is yeah. something that takes a lot of training as well. And uh, a lot of people don't think about how, how important it is. So usually you find those out through failures, <laughs> as, as, you said, as you said in the past. Yeah. Um, and then transitioning a little bit, you did, uh, let's talk about, um, you mentioned you had a doubles partner and you went mm -hmm. into paddle tennis, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you get, you yeah. ended up, uh, winning, what was the U S open? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, with, with sport and, and tennis, obviously you, you played from a young age, you went to college, you won a national championship with your team, you went on to play professionally, you coach professionals, and then you decided to still continue playing uh, and coaching now. Talk about why continue playing uh, paddle tennis and, and coaching. Yeah, I, look, I, I mean, paddle tennis is, is a, my brother and I, um, my brother played college tennis at DePaul. I'm a little older, so you can imagine that that family of two brothers, you know. Um, so we used to play backyard tennis and we we lived in Santa Monica and in Venice Beach, there's a paddle tennis court, which is basically, it's like a half the size of a tennis court. They use paddles. So my brother and I like, like there's absolutely no way that anyone's beating us. Like we, this is our sport. So we joined in, it was a pretty rambunctious raucous crowd and and culture down there but we loved the sport and it was just it was fun to, to be brothers and to be kind of adults i guess and play together and so we enjoyed competing and getting a sweat in so um we we've actually never lost uh in eight years we've never lost a tournament <laughs> so it's pretty funny um so we we laugh about that and, and teach a little bit and, and it's fun i i just think it's a a great workout and uh that that's what i get, get most out of it if if i can play with my brother i i love that energy too just because um you know when he was 15 16 i had gone away to college and we didn't really get to to play together as fully formed adults you know um and playing at a pretty good level so that's fun um but yeah any any other i mean i'm playing a little pickleball now i'm a huge golfer i just i love the aspect of golf mentally i'm a bit of a mental midget my friends call me but but i'm i'm getting there and i'm i'm, I'm getting better and that's scary for them um but i just i just enjoy the challenge of anything right it's it's super cool i i'm pretty hard on myself but i i love it i genuinely love competing competition um i really enjoy just helping coaching mentoring whatever you want to call it just people that are engaged in the sport and find passion in it or just find enjoyment and how maybe i can give them a perspective that opens a door for them just as as people did for me uh but yeah i just think the aspects of sport are awesome and, and what it teaches you and the the difficulties of it and the struggles it's it's you know sometimes i i uh you know we all 
we all deal in the game of life, but sometimes I'm like, geez, just put, put me in that cage battling. I'd, I'd take that over, you know, going to the dentist and getting four root canals, you know, any day, even if I'm going to lose, but it's just, you know, the, the whole, the whole aspect of competition to me is fascinating. Yeah. Sports is so intertwined with life. And I think the challenge and the competition and the fun in sports is something that keeps us coming back and staying involved, you know, for life. Um, I think that's really yeah. cool that you mentioned even all of your teammates are all still involved in tennis in some capacity. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so kind of transitioning a little bit further here. So for your day job, correct me if mm -hmm. I'm wrong, but you're also helping athletes learn how to invest in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of funny talking to you it's like uh sometimes i'm like i don't know i don't know if you guys have this but i constantly think i'm not doing enough like i i'm so competitive with myself too but i have done a, I, I guess i've done a lot i think but when i was 30 um i had you know i had my coaching job i'd done pepperdine i thought you know i i love tennis but i, I wanted to be stimulated and, and kind of fired up again I was getting a little bit burned out a little bit stale so um, I got my you know my real estate broker's license I I went into commercial real estate so I would uh, I started cold calling like 500 cold calls a week so I would call and say you know hey Scott Megan you, you guys own the Bojangles right in 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 wherever in in Charlotte and or you know chick-fil-a or raising canes or mcdonald's or cvs so we were it was all those single tenant retail properties we would call them and just talk to them about their plans and um i really learned that that uh i guess that that market so well and transitioned it into um now i represent kind of you know, entrepreneurs or, or, or athletes or, or people that are interested that have, you know, saved a little bit of money in, in diversifying their portfolio in, into buying these, these real estate assets. So, you know, how it works is you, you own the real estate, you can depreciate it, the tenant, whether it be, you know, Walgreens or Chipotle, they pay you rent. And, you know, that, and that just goes directly into your bank account and they take care of the property, the real estate taxes. So it's a, it's a great way to have some passive income and to have some write-offs from a tax perspective. And I just found that um, as I did this more and more and being around athletes, they, I mean, athletes aren't the best sometimes financially and we get so stuck in between the lines on our sport. It's tough to, tough to know a lot about how to invest or finances and the stock market's scary and it's, it's liquid, but it goes up and down like a yo-yo and, and real estate's much more stable. So I just found that, you know, for my, my skill set, how I represent people, my attention to detail, it just worked out really well to say, Hey, here's some, like, and I know the, the real estate, I'm like, this thing's going to be here for 40 years. Like you're going to hand this to your son and it's going to pay you rent. It's going to be great. So that's what I'm doing now. I really love it too. Um, you know, it's, it's competitive as well, but I just find great value in, in helping people when they're like, geez, that was, thanks so much for doing that because I, I really like that this is something stable and, you know, in a volatile kind of investment environment as it is now in a, in a lot of realms that the real estate is, is, is something that you can rest on. Uh, we actually just purchased our third uh, property. It's a single family home that we're doing a little renovation on. Okay. But, uh, cool. yeah, so. It's funny. Yeah. The parallels between Congrats. sports and uh, real estate. It's kind of similar, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But mm -hmm. uh, we, we might have to use your expertise and, and advice on maybe finding a piece of property that we could rent out to, to a retail business or a, a restaurant yeah. or a gas station or something. So I might have to pick yeah. your brain on that, but helping athletes learn about that stuff is important because 
Uh, I'm 31 and she's 29. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say 28, so I would have been safe. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're thinking about the same thing that you are. And so it, it's refreshing to know that it's been done before us. And that's a, another thing. Athletes everywhere should understand that what they're going through, whether it is a championship season or struggles and depression with sports and, and results or making a decision in college or even just deciding what sports they want to try next after college um, just to have some fun or go into real estate that there's always someone who's done it before and someone you can reach out to and learn from so uh, that's just inspiring yeah. to know that you do that so I appreciate you sharing that with us and you know we might have to yeah. ask you a few questions off podcast <laughs> yeah no for sure happy happy to. yeah and that is also just another cool point that I think um, athletes tend to make great employees and I know you mentioned the cold calling just the um, ability to just do things and grind it out things that the ordinary person may or may not be able to do the same just with that discipline and I think that's the cool yeah. thing about sports is it just teaches you so many life skills that you can take beyond you know your time on a team yeah um, yeah exactly yeah did you have any other questions that you wanted to ask? No, I think you, I think you've summed up quite a bit about you know your story and how sport has fueled your life and how it can help others uh, along the way. So yeah, this, do you have any other secret tips or, or tricks that we uh, haven't touched on that you like sharing with people? No, I, I really appreciate. You guys had great questions, and by no means am I the expert. I mean, I'm failing and learning all the time but i i really think that um you know the, d just navigating being being an athlete liking sport being competitive is is hard right because you competitive with yourself and mastering your own mind is, is the is really the big trick at the end of the day if you can do that and be okay with yourself and then obviously put your energy into endeavors that give you joy and success i think if you can do that it's like what what more is there absolutely well scott do you have um a website or anything on social media that any of our listeners can maybe find you or follow you if they want to learn more about you yeah um i'm not on social media <laughs> I, I uh i got off it a couple of years ago it was just yeah and pretty happy that but no I'm, I'm actually building a website for my um my real estate business now it's pre pretty simple but it's mostly just referrals and word of mouth and relationships that i have now but i do i do want to grow that so i could probably share that with you but yeah i mean i don't know people can give me a call i i don't uh i'm on i i'm on twitter i read people's tweets but i don't really <laughs> tweet out too much i just try to like stay in my lane on the social okay. media side <laughs> Laying low. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The world's plenty crazy for me to add anything to it. <laughs> Love that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. If you like this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It really means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. We're always looking for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tell us their story by nominating them on our website at sportfuelslife.com. Thanks for listening.